Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. everybody. Welcome to Venture Stories by Village Global Podcast. I'm here today with Tony Shang of Decentraland and Amit Mahajan of Rarebits, and we're here to talk about NFTs. What's up, guys? How are you guys doing? Thanks for having us. Yeah, great. Great to be here. Yeah. Totally. So why don't we start by first describing your, your guys' projects. Amit, what is Rarebits? Rarebits is a marketplace for NFTs or non-fungible tokens. The This NFTs are a new type of asset class. So, you know, we thought that when you have kind of a new type of asset that has unique properties, especially when it comes to kind of buying and selling experience, that users are going to want a kind of a native way of, of exchanging those assets. And so that's why we built Rebits. Awesome. Uh, Tony, what is Decentraland? So Decentraland is an open virtual world that's owned by its users. Um, users can buy tokens that represent land. And this, and amongst other things, they can build virtual reality environments that end users can experience as they explore the world. Over time, we our vision is that a booming economy will emerge in this virtual world and people will spend time in it. Um, the reason why we're excited about using blockchain for a world is today's virtual spaces and future virtual worlds kind of look like a feudal society, like monarchs own most of the digital real estate, and then the users are kind of tied to them because they don't have too many other options for what they provide. So as you're thinking about virtual worlds, like it seems kind of inevitable that we'd spend more time online and want things like what we dreamed about in sci-fi. And it seems like it'd be better for the users to own all of it rather than a few, you know, even if they're benevolent dictators. Um, if you're familiar with that concept as you've, you've run a, a VR AR fund in the past. I'm curious, your past also includes working at Zynga for, for many years. What about games in sort of crypto world is, is so different that inspired you to, to go out and build a company in the space? What's the real innovation here? I, I think what's interesting is that we've, if you think about it, we've actually, as a, you know, kind of as online citizens, have actually never owned anything online. Every, you know, Kindle book, every iTunes movie, every song you download from, or you, you buy on like, uh, on some services is, is basically those, those are rights that are granted to you based on the database of some central company. Um, and the same thing is true of games, you know, any, if you play World of Warcraft or any, any game online where you're collecting virtual items, the who owns what is, is within the database of, of the company that is providing the service to you. And if they decide to, you know, shut down, if they decide to ban you, if they decide that, you know, they don't want you exchanging those goods in some way or using them in some way, effectively, you have no recourse. It's the power is all in their hands. So, so what's interesting is from, from a gaming perspective, you know, when I saw, you know, we, we were, when Zynga, we, we were building, you know, social games where people would play for, you know, hundreds of hours and accumulate an entire kind of world full of stuff. But if the game, you know, for some reason the game was shut down or it was sold to another company and they decided to change the way the game worked, you know, users would lose their investment in terms of time and money. So what's, what's fascinating about the blockchain side of things is that the, the items are actually owned by the end user and that completely changes the relationship that users have with virtual goods. And so from, from my perspective, 
now, you know, you're not just playing a game and accumulating kind of like value is not just flowing from the user to the end company. It's actually bi-directional as the user invests their time and their money in some, in some online experience, they're actually getting real assets. And that means that now you can do things like, you know, if I'm playing a, you know, a, an RPG or something, I can like earn a sword and then go and resell it or loan it out or even tokenize it so that there's fractional ownership of it. Like this, it opens up a whole new way of thinking about online goods and online property. So when, when I saw that, I was like, and just given kind of what I already knew about how people were thinking about and how, how involved users would get with, with games where they didn't actually own the stuff that they were generating. I, I knew that I had to do something in this space because it's just such a powerful idea. Yeah, the idea is like, you know, if I'm a whale in one of these games, I'll be spending you know, like 10,000 hours and you know, sometimes like tens of thousands of dollars and I don't even own the shit. <laughs> so that's now, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So now I, if I have a sword, I can take it to another game, sell it, to, you know, fractionalize it, to, tokenize it. And that is going to change game, the gaming world. How? Well, well, that's what's fascinating. What you just said is that like that ecosystem, right? Like that you said, take it to another game before that was actually very difficult. So if, you know, you're playing one game and another game wants to use your, you know, use the inventory you've collected from the first game, they would have to kind of cut a partnership with the other developer. But in in the case of the blockchain world, like everything that everyone owns is, is a matter of public record. So if you go and you play, you know, some sort of car racing game and you and you acquire a Ferrari, I can build another game, which is, you know, a, a game that uses uses your your cars from this first game. And, and I already know that you own the Ferrari, so I, I can unlock certain features. And we're already starting to see that. Uh, you know, the, the famous example here is, is CryptoKitties is kind of the, the first real success story on uh, of this type, of this type of game. And we're already seeing people use CryptoCats in other contexts. I, I think, Tony, you, you guys actually have something with them as well, right? Yeah, some some guys build a temple to their their rare crypto kitties on Decentraland, and and that was like that was a pretty trivial integration for them because it's it, they they don't have to ask permission from the crypto kitties team in order to actually figure out who owns what. That's actually a matter of public record on the blockchain. So so this idea of like being able to take your stuff from one place to another is really powerful. You know, a really a really kind of a more straightforward example that that is like. If I go and I, I buy a pack of Magic the Gathering cards, even if Wizards of the Coast, the company that makes Magic, decides to shut down, that doesn't prevent me from being able to play the game Magic. I just have to find other people to play with. And what's what's interesting is that depending on which, like, for example, which set of people you're playing with, you may play with a different rule set. And so if it turns out that, you know, the the company is, is enforcing one set of rules, but you go to a tournament, they have a different set of rules, you're able to do that because it's because they're physical cards. But in online games, that wasn't the case. If the, the central company that was operating like World of Warcraft, the Blizzard decided they want to change the rules of World of Warcraft, you you basically have nowhere else you can take your, your character and go play the game. And actually, this, this is the thing that, uh, I don't know if you know the story behind Ethereum, but like, basically, this is what... In, inspired Vitalik, the, the one of the creators of Ethereum, to actually go and, and build something because he felt that these these companies had too much power over his online property. And so this idea that you can take your stuff and then play with like rules that weren't actually intended by the original developers is is closer to what we're actually we, we already have with physical property. So in a lot of ways, this these assets are closer to their physical counterparts than other online than what we've had before online. 
totally. And just to, to back up for a second, in case uh, because the beginner doesn't know what we're talking about when we say NFTs, you know, non fungible tokens. And, and if they don't know, non fungible means non fungible means that every individual token is unique and distinguishable, as opposed to something where they're all the same, like a dollar, each dollar is the same. And that can apply to digital assets, as, as we've been talking about, but also physical assets. Is that correct? That's that's correct. Yeah, I, I mean, the way to, the way we like to describe it is, you know, cur- you know, you have current. There's difference between currency and stuff. Like currency, if I give you a dollar, you can give me any dollar back, and it's a it's a neutral it's a neutral exchange of value. But I can't take like you know one house and give you a, a different house on a different street and say it's it's an equal trade because these are two completely different things. And and that's why like you know when we got we actually entered the crypto game pretty late, you know, in, in, in early 2018. And the reason we were able to do that is because this idea of non-fungible tokens was new, even though there was massive mania around fungible tokens in 2017, non-fungible tokens is actually a fairly new concept that's still, you know, evolving. The, the money comparison is really useful in trying to understand the value and possibilities for non-fungible tokens as well, because people may be more familiar with the modifiers applied to money, like self-sovereign money or programmable money or sound money, like the, the types of things that people use to describe why Bitcoin is really exciting or why cryptocurrencies in general are really exciting. You can apply the same modifiers to non-fungible tokens and start to understand why they're valuable and why they're exciting. So like a lot of the really cool use cases that I mean, was talking about just earlier, that's because they're programmable. You can do all sorts of stuff with them the, in ways that you couldn't do uh, with, with other things. It's really hard to say which of those things is going to be like huge. You, you can have some pretty strong hypotheses around that, but I imagine that a lot of the combinations we haven't really even thought of yet. And then on like self-sovereign and sound, I mean, for some of the other things that I touched on, I mean, this is the first time that one might possibly feel comfortable storing their wealth in, in online things because uh, yeah, you, you don't have to worry so much that people will change the rules or shut it down or just ban you or lose your stuff. So just like people can feel excited about storing money in a deflationary currency like Bitcoin, people can get excited about storing their money in collectibles like rare art, game items even that are that are issued on the blockchain. What are other use cases that you guys are excited about? We, we talked about games. We talked about rare, rare art just now. What are other applications? Like paint a picture of, of what, what can happen in this world with NFTs. So debt, debt is a really cool one. Well, so just to take a step back, I, I personally am most interested in the store of value use case for non-fungible tokens as like a you know, size of market. I'm I'm equally excited from like a intellectual curiosity and like like experimentation perspective on all the weird co- compositions that you can have. But one really tangible one that we're seeing used already is debt and other financial primitives. Um, Dharma Protocol, which is built on zero X, is uh, using non fungible tokens to represent users as debt, which is really cool because one user's debt is not fungible with another user's debt. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, from our from our perspective, you know, we the, the first use cases are, the, are kind of the like the digital native ones. So like virtual game items, collectibles, where are we're already seeing a lot of that stuff. I, you know, there's definitely there's going to be an opportunity for for companies to start to think about how do they tokenize existing assets as well. So you know, the, the example I like to use is that Ticketmaster currently they if they sell a ticket, it's it's kind of within this central database, and if someone goes 
and sell like if I, if I buy a ticket from Ticketmaster and then sell that ticket on StubHub or some sort of secondary marketplace, and then you know for an increased value or whatever, Ticketmaster doesn't see any of the revenue from that. And, and going back to what Tony said, like one of the interesting things is you can actually program these things to not only allow second, you know, the idea of second market transfers, but you can also make it so that the original whole, the original issuer of the ticket sees a cut of every second market transaction. So, you know, we, we think like, you know, our perspective is that as soon as people realize this, you're going to start to see a lot of content that was once in a centralized database actually move to the blockchain because that enables new business models. And, you know, examples of that are ticketing is, is up there. We believe titling Art is really interesting. The idea that me as, that as an artist, not only do I get you know revenue from the first sale, but I get revenue from active trading of my art. So these type of use cases are just you know they're brand new and they weren't they weren't really possible before this technology came out. And and so like whenever I see a new platform, this is the same in VR and AR as well. Is like you're always looking for like what is the thing that was not possible before that this this platform existed and. If you think about the best, you know, the, the biggest businesses on, on on mobile or you know social before it, like it's it's those native experiences that really matter. And this is, I think, one of the, the unique things that's only possible with blockchain. And for the for the strong critic who is who dismisses games as frivolous, uh, obviously games are enormous, but but some people do, or even or even collectibles, or you know, says CryptoKitties is frivolous, Beanie Babies are frivolous. It, with, with the the in order to get them on board to NFTs. Would you would you say something like, "Hey, this this enables creators to see to make more money from their you know from their transaction, whether it's artists or musicians or, or game creators, and thus you know leads to more economic growth?" And surely you you care about that, or, or how would you how would you sway the? the I mean, that's that is a that is the pretty clear value proposition, right? It's like you know you're a band and you're selling a ticket to a show, and you, maybe you sell for fifteen bucks because you don't have any sort of mechanism for price discovery so you're leaving a bunch of money on the table and the scalper goes and sells it for 100 right so effectively you're not partaking in that secondary market but in this case you can so it's it's an objectively better way of it's objectively higher revenue generating because you're, you would never see the second market transaction anyways but in terms of frivolous i you know i, I think like it's almost cliche point to say that like you know, all, you know, all disruption looks like toys at first. I mean, even Snapchat was like kind of a toy, not a massive company. So like this, uh, I feel like the world has come around to the fact that games tend to be a, a leading indicator of something interesting on the horizon. Yes. Are you going to see, are we going to, well, what do you think about the idea of is like Beanie Babies or Nintendo or some of this sort of like, you know, game 1.0 company Zynga going to start introducing NFTs to all their existing games and titles or is it going to be totally new? I think a mix. I'm curious what you've seen on me, but like, I know of several incumbent game companies that are already building crypto games. It's much hotter in Asia than the US, but I know that there are some US game companies also experimenting. And, you know, there's a, this is also maybe a cliche, but like, look where the talent is going. And I know of a lot of like high profile game people from incumbents leaving to start their own crypto projects. So I think there's, there's clearly a lot of interest in the space, and it's it's. I mean, I think it's one of the, the the hottest areas in crypto to to keep an eye on for the next year or two. You know, I'm seeing similar. I I, I will say though that it's, this is very early days. You know, if I think if we're being intellectually honest, you know, we can you can look. It's it's really exciting to kind of see what this technology can do. But if we're if we're truly having it, like if we're going to have a balanced discussion about this, is, I think it's also really important to pay homage to the fact that. There's two big issues that are kind of looming on the horizon before this thing takes off. Um, 
one is just the general friction involved. It's a much more difficult experience to kind of get into crypto and, and, and like buy Ethereum in order to buy into this ecosystem. I, there, there was a blog post going around recently. It's like 20 or a tweet going around recently. It was like 20 plus clicks to like go from like nothing to like owning a crypto kitty. So it's, it's, there's still a ton of friction on the user side. And then the other one is just like whether or not like Ethereum would be able to hold up. You know, in, in our, when we were pitching the company for a Series A, one of the, the, the examples we used was that like, you know, if Beyonce released, you know, a, a backstage pass on Ethereum, like people would figure out how to, how to obtain that. But at the same time, it would probably also crash Ethereum. And so there's this like, you know, this is this is problem that like, you know, we there's actual technical hurdles, the same the same thing that's holding back, you know, a, like a lot of future technology, like I think VR and AR have similar issues with like foreign factor and so on. But like, blockchain's version of that is, you know, effectively these scaling problems, the transaction times and the complexity for the average user. And until we solve a lot of those problems, I think it'll be really hard for like, Someone like Nintendo, who's historically a late adopter to this technology, to start to get involved. Yeah. With, with Decentraline, Tony, you're using both virtual reality and blockchain. Why not get some AI and CRISPR in there for good measure? <laughs> oh, so I can't talk about that because those product announcements aren't ready yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely trying to find the overlap into extremely nascent, unproven areas from a mainstream user perspective. But I think one of the, the good things about us is we have kind of low time preference. We, we're going to work on shipping stuff as fast as we can, but also can be patient and wait for the market to arrive um, and can also, you know, we, we're not reliant on VR taking off for the platform to be successful. I think just online space that users own is valuable. In, in terms of like to, to kind of touch on the, the, the UX and scaling challenges, those are certainly hard. And it's not obvious that they'll be resolved in a very short time period. But there is a lot of exciting work happening there, both in, on, on the main protocols, like with either Ethereum scaling plans or alternative protocols that are more focused on scaling and trade decentralization. And like, for example, we're working on a Plasma implementation ourselves, which is a, a layer two scaling solution that doesn't, you know, isn't blocked by the, the throughput of the, the main Ethereum chain. And you know, one thing that's that's lucky for us is that the majority of the transactions for Decentraland are kind of low velocity because land isn't something that changes hands very often. We don't need like a thousand transactions per second of land. And the like any kind of on-chain transactions for the experiences that people build on top of Decentraland are optional. It's not it's not required that they have a bunch of on-chain transactions. So we, we don't feel at least today we don't feel blocked by the scaling problems and are actively working on trying to not be blocked when when we do have a, a mass market of users on the platform. And in general, I am up, I'm like pretty bullish that we'll figure out these scaling problems either by like, you know, making Ethereum more scalable, these second layer solutions, or just deciding, you know, we're, we're, we're happy to make a lower decentralization or lower censorship resistance trade to get the transactions per second for something like less needing of it. Like, you know, like gold, like store values are kind of needing of decentralization and, and censorship resistance. Other things that might happen in games like clicks, uh, like attacks on a monster, maybe not as needed. I mean, this makes a lot of sense to me. The one, the one, um, the one thing I'll throw out is I, 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 it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, depending on, uh, like, depending on, you know, if you're an entrepreneur in the space and you're trying to figure out, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go and, 
raise money and I have X years of runway or, or whatever it may be. I think that like, you know, we're, I, I think what we're really trying to, I think what everyone's really trying to kind of read the tea leaves about is, you know, when are we going to get good enough? Like when, when are we going to get to like MVP level for, for the UX and on the scaling side? And so it's, you know, would I make that bet in the next six months? Probably not, but maybe 18 months from now, I think we may be there. Right. So like it's it's um it's a matter of timing. The market is really important also in this case. Um, and so from from our perspective, we're we're just like we're, you know, doing what Tony's doing is we're heads down, just trying to build stuff that people want and trying to build really great user experiences. And we're kind of betting that, you know, that eventually some of the uh some of the issues, for example, around going from you know fiat to ethereum are going to be handled by by companies that have like money transmission licenses and coinbase will provide a solution that makes it easier to get into the ecosystem and basically we're you know we're, we're partnering with, with folks that are trying to solve a lot of those issues as well and so it's it's just a you know it's it's, it's very much a timing issue and that's something that we have to be cognizant of with, with limited resources tony you've, you've talked about in the past being more bullish on digital assets as opposed to physical assets as it relates to NFTs, could you could you elaborate there? Yeah, I, I, so digital assets are simple for NFTs because you the asset is the token and it moves from one user to the other. Like things can happen to it, and it's all reflected on chain. So it's like very elegant in that way. With physical things, then now you have a digital token representing a physical thing, and that just adds all this complexity to it. And the the primary thing that makes me unsure about it is like if if it's stolen and somebody holds the physical asset, what is the token for? I guess you would take it to a court of law and say, hey, look, I have this token. Ask this guy to give it back to me. But then you have to introduce all of these like you know legacy institutions like and part of the the elegance, like part of the draw of having these blockchain-based assets is that you don't need to go through that. So it, it seems to me more like incremental at best to the current system of assets and property rights, whereas the doing crypto-native, like fully digital assets, like a completely new way of interacting with stuff. So if I'm, uh, I'm interviewing the Harbor CEO on the podcast in, in a couple of days to talk about tokenized securities, what would be his best response or, or, or the counter argument to, to, to what you just said? I'm I'm actually not sure what David's perspective is on all of this, but I mean one one common and compelling argument around tokenized securities is that even if it this is just an incremental technology that's applied to a legacy system, the opportunity could be gigantic because securities is a massive market and whoever is responsible for you know providing this new technology to that huge market, even if they take a tiny fee, can make a, a ton of money. So there are benefits to putting like putting a representation of a physical good or a security on the blockchain, like you know, being able to transact with others without a middle man. But yeah, so that, that's what I'd expect one of the arguments to be. But I, I wouldn't be able to speak for his position because I actually am not aware of it. Um, talk a little bit about Rarebit in the, co- in the context of, I, I think some commentary when you, when you launch a marketplace was, are there enough NFTs to, to make an interesting Marketplace, yeah, I guess the only successful one being CryptoKitties or the most successful one being CryptoKitties. How have you sort of thought about that? So the way that the way that we see ourselves is like, you know, we basically we built eBay 
and there was no Pez dispensers or Beanie Babies yet, right? Like that's effectively the, the state of the industry at this moment. We have this, we have this, this, this kind of this one six really major success case in the form of CryptoKitties, which is like multiple order of magnitude bigger than everything else that's out there, and and even now like. Average usage is down to you know a few hundred daily active transactors, so it's it's not like this is a particularly vibrant ecosystem right now. So from our perspective, our, our focus has actually shifted from just you know kind of providing a marketplace to actually providing a way to 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 make it easy for all the people to actually bring their content online. So in, in that in that regard, you know we we launched a, like a sister site to Rarebits called Fanbits, which is a, which allows people with audiences, you know, streamers, Instagram personalities, etc., to to effectively be able to tokenize goods and sell them to their existing audience. And, and the idea is that like you know it's it's very similar to like a Patreon type model where you know it's more about supporting the personality. For, for their audience and in exchange they get a, a bit of a you know a token pun not intended of, of their of appreciation so so the idea like you know from our perspective is like you know it's we the, the marketplace technology is, is good and it's there and it works but really what what we as an industry need to solve is supply and our, our solution to that is to actually just like dive head first into it and help other people create supply and so um, that's starting to go really great where we've, we've really simplified the process down of creating new supply and chain. But I think that, you know, we're starting to see bigger and bigger, like brands and IP start to come, you know, start to come into the space. Um, there was, uh, an MLB announcement a few days ago. There was a company called Unblockable, which just launched, um, a partnership with the NFL to bring tokenized, you know, some sort of, tokenized trading cards to the blockchain. And, and all these things are really exciting because it's just like bit by bit, we're going to continually find that the ecosystem is going to grow and more people are going to get too exposed to it. And it's more likely that someone actually has a reason to want to get into the ecosystem because there's a brand or an IP or, or, or personality that they identify with. So there's enough of a carrot to go through kind of all of the onboarding to buy into the crypto ecosystem. But that's, that's, that's going to take a long time. And, and I think for a lot of these brands, you know, especially the ones that are approached all the time with new opportunities, they're going to be looking for, they're going to be looking for that, for that return. You know, what, what's, what's actually mean in actual dollars for them? And until the audience grows and there's, you know, millions of people transacting daily on, on this, you know, within this ecosystem, it's going to be hard for these bigger brands to get in. But, you know, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be an ongoing process to get there. Do, do you think, um, so I, I've been wondering about this myself. Do you, do you think that this next wave of adoption makes the crypto part of it invisible? Or do you think it's still going to be kind of a core part of the, the the product, like the collectibles, the the digital assets that that people interact with. My my salute, like you know, my take on it is that like we, it, it, our ideal product would be one where people don't even realize they're using crypto. Like I don't go to Spotify and be like, wow, like I'm getting into the you know my SQL right <laughs> ecosystem, right? Like it doesn't matter to me. Like I go there because you know they have songs from artists that I already know. And at the end of the day, like the average person does they're they're I even think to some degree crypto is almost a, a negative connotation for some people, right? Like you tell someone, oh, like we're a crypto-based site, they're like, oh, it's like buzzwordy or like there's like scammy because they've heard about yeah. these ICO scams. Like like in a lot of ways, it's actually a negative thing. And so like 
I think you, you have to, you have to drive value. And that's the reason I used the Beyonce example earlier is just like, if I tell someone you can go meet Beyonce backstage and the pass will be available, like there's gonna be five passes released. And, you know, even if you can't go, you can resell it. Like that is something that people get. There's a baseline of utility value there and brand value there that I, that people that allow people to understand what it is they're getting and why they should go through the trouble of getting it. And, and so like, you know, it's, it's kind of a straw man argument. Beyonce is not going to release anything on, on, on the blockchain anytime soon, but I, it's, it's an interesting thought exercise to go through of like, what is the point at which the average person will start caring? And there's a very big gap between crypto cats and Beyonce batch stage passes. And like, when we think about like our, our goals as a collective industry is we need to close that gap as much as possible. And like, you know, internally, we, we think about this in terms of like, there's a perceived value the user has for a good that's based on like brand that they're associated with, the underlying utility value. For example, if I tokenize an iTunes gift card for 10 bucks, you can argue that the base value of that token is going to be $10 because I can go redeem it with iTunes for $10, right? So like there is some perceived value that you can create for a user. And then on the opposite side of that, stuff that detracts from the value is the cost, obviously, but also the friction. And so our goal as an industry is to try to figure out how do we create a net perceived value greater than zero, where the brand and the, you know, the utility and all of these things are greater than the, the cost and the friction associated with acquiring it. And if, if we consistently do that, I think we'll start to see more and more people on board. I love that the MySQL analogy is perfect. I mean, I think right now, I haven't seen a single project that promotes the benefits of blockchain without invoking the word blockchain or crypto. And I think that's probably the key. Like w- when you see the the version, the application of non-fungible tokens that really I guess compelling to the mass market, it's not going to be get your non-fungible token versions of this thing and you're going to get the censorship resistance of blockchains. Like nobody's going to store that's value. Not make sense to anybody. Yeah, right. Like like all of these things that we love to talk about the shared language that makes sense to us and is actually really productive for us to think about the space as an industry total nonsense to to other people and and so it'll be really interesting to see how much people care and how how like successful products are able to market these different attributes like hey um all of your items are owned by you and we can't like change them and it's like prove it well then the proving it part of it's going to be more like proving that you know signal messenger is encrypted it's because it's open source and like experts say that it is Uh, it's not going to be people like understanding how a non-fungible token works on ethereum yeah, I, so, you know, our perspective, I 100% agree with you. And, and our, our perspective on how to approach that is, is actually to start with the value to the user that has nothing to do with crypto. So, like, I, I think as an industry, what we don't realize yet is that there, like, there is a mass, like, I mean, we do realize it, but like, it's, it's not like something that's being focused on is that there's a massive education hurdle. Like, you can tell someone that you get to own all your own stuff online and that, like, and that is the end goal. But like, I think explaining it that way is like too much of a, it's too much of a leap of, uh, of understanding for most people. Like you actually need to like guide people through this process over a long period of time. Like the, the, the way that I like to think about it is like, if you were to give someone from in 2005 an iPhone 10, like they wouldn't like know a lot of how to, like they wouldn't know how to use it. Because there's like, there's so much subtlety that we've learned as a, as, as a, as consumers over a long period of time. Unlike, oh yeah, like you can like swipe and there's these, there, there's these like 
there's these gestures that, are, that come naturally to us now because we've been using phones for such a long time. So you can argue that the iPhone 1, even though it had a bare minimum set of features, it was the right product at the right time for a user base that was used to like BlackBerry phones. And so what we need to think about as, a, as, as kind of the blockchain industry is like, what's the right pared down product right now, even if it's not fully decentralized, even if we don't talk, we don't talk about a lot of the, the crypto benefits, what's the right product for the, for the, for the audience right now? And, and that's also going to be different depending on the audience you're focusing on. So for example, if I'm selling, you know, crypto to a celebrity, like, you know, a Beyonce's fans, it's very different than if you're selling crypto to like a Twitch streamers fans. Like one of those is, is more tech savvy than the other or tends to be an early adopter over the other or maybe has familiarity with virtual goods. And so when we think about like, you know, the products that we're building, we're thinking about what's that like, that kind of like that plus one, you know, product from what people already are used to that just kind of maybe like even just like kind of subtly get them into crypto and they don't even realize they're using a crypto product. And then over time, they discover all the benefits. And that's a lot of what we're focusing on as a product team is, is like kind of that like that incremental advancement of of, of a user's understanding. That that's why I, I think the the game's use case is so exciting because if you can kind of resolve the the malincentives for the incumbents to adopt it, and by that I mean you know like Fortnite is just printing money. There's really no incentive for them to put everything on the blockchain unless there's like some some of the stuff that you were talking about where maybe they're able to dependably get a transaction fee on every for like secondary market transaction or something like that all like gamers are very used to the economy around digital items and you'll run into all of these problems all the time so in Fortnite for example you you buy a skin these skins cost anywhere from 5 to 20 dollars which is crazy and like people love them and if you if you buy the wrong one you're able to get a refund two times uh, in your account history. And otherwise, you're just stuck with something that's not liquid. You can't do anything with it. And if you have a bunch of rare ones, you can monetize it by selling it on like eBay, your account on eBay, which is against the terms of service. So if you, you're willing to risk it, you can sell your account for thousands of dollars uh, if you have these rare earlier skins. But it's against the rules and a lot of people get banned for it. And then if you have two accounts, one on your Xbox and one on your PC, and your Xbox one has all of these skins that you earned over time. But for whatever reason, now you're on PC, maybe because it's like, you know, easy, higher skill cap to play on PC because of a mouse and keyboard or whatever. None of those skins carry over, which is like insanity from, from like, a, just like, you know, thinking in first principles, that's like crazy, right? Like you should, it's, you're the same person, you're playing the same game, you should be able to move your, your items from one place to the other. So I think it's going to be like these very small quality of life improvements that start to sum together and people are like, oh, like I actually expect this from the games that I play. I expect that I can move this item from one account to the other without somebody like trying to stop me from doing that. I expect that I should be able to to sell my my item to somebody else if I want to. Right now, I mean, the the condition for players right now is just so poor. Yet, like because there haven't been alternatives, uh, people are very happy to continue contributing to the economy in the state that it is. That, that's exactly. I mean, that's exactly right. And and actually, that's the that's the mission of our company is is to give users autonomy and ownership back of their digital possessions. So like, you're like you're like speaking to our to our core beliefs here. But you know, like from our from our perspective, it's like that that expectation that other that I as a gamer should have those rights. Like we've had the wool pulled over our eyes for so long, and we're and again, you've never truly owned anything online. So, so people have come just to be, they've come to the fact they've 
basically been normalized to the fact that 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 that'll never happen. But again, that's the, that's like the thing, right? Is like when people start to realize the the benefits of owning crypto, maybe by you know even like even just kind of like you know happenstancing into the ecosystem, like that's when the, that's when they'll start to ask questions of like, wait a second, I can do this thing in in this one card battler game, but I can't do it in the other. Like I'm going to choose the one where. I can invest into a deck and then sell it later if I want to versus the one where I, my money goes one way to the game developer and that's it. And, you know, from what, what we've seen is that like, it's that like, hey, you can own your skins and resell it. Like people like the idea of that, but it's even that is just like too confusing for them to understand. So even though it's objectively better for the end user. And I'm curious how you guys think about what's going to determine whether an incumbent you know, innovates fast enough uh, to sort of stop a crypto native company from disrupting them. Say, for example, in the ticketing space, like Tari versus Eventbrite, for example, like what's going to determine whether one of business those- relationships at the end of the day, though, like if you, if you have like, you don't like Fortnite doesn't really need to worry about a Fortnite, a blockchain based Fortnite competitor coming out because the intangible stuff that's existed on every platform before is still the case. Is that if you have access to great IP, if you have business relationships with the right, you know, celebrities or performers or whatever it may be, you effectively own unique supply. And so, if you own unique supply, you don't you don't have to worry about someone using providing a, a better trading mechanism because you can take your time to get there. I do think the place you know where there's probably going to be more kind of risk is if your IP or brand isn't as strong. And if, if, if a, you know, a new user is determined is choosing between, you know, using one service where like, or if I'm like throwing like a local party or, or a smaller event and I'm choosing between using Eventbrite, which allows me to collect my ticket prices once or, you know, Tari, which allows me to potentially get revenue from the resale. And I believe the event's going to sell out. I'll, you know, I may experiment with Tari, assuming a, you know, a common level of experience for my for the end user, but that 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 gap is still there. So it's not it's not really equivalent exchange yet. So so if you're a celebrity right now, is NFTs like fertile ground for you to make a huge business? Like, will the next Kylie Jenner, you know, be a you know a collectibles business from a celebrity, or or next you know Fifty Cent Vitamin Water or whatever it is? I think no. And here and the reason why, what's different about this platform versus you know mobile or social before is there's no distribution, right? If I launch an app on on iTunes or on the iPhone, like I have the I have the App Store, which drives users to my application. If I was launching a social app on Facebook, you know, I had, I had viral channels available to me. This 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 thing is like it's a tool. It's not it's not going it's not something that is a is a st- is going to create an audience in and of itself. People aren't flocking to this because because you, you know you're on crypto. They're they're going to come. They're going to go to the person. They're going to go first for the content. And the reality is, is the, the the friction right now is, is so high that like it makes more sense to use these non crypto based decentralized services instead. That could change over time, but you know our view on it is that distribution is currently still owned by non crypto platforms, and so. Anyone looking forward like to build a big audience should actually avoid NFTs for now and, 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 you know, circle back around when there's like actual distribution channels, which, you know, are coming down the pipe, you know, like the central land could end up being something that ends up driving tons of users to new, uh, to, to a new artist. Toshi, which is Coinbase's wallet app, if they start to cross promote, you know, there could be, there could be a lot of value in being one of the top featured apps in Toshi because there's now millions of people who are, who are already on Ethereum or are using it. 
So the, the distribution has not a solved problem yet in this space. I think I, I would answer differently while agreeing with your points. Like, I think, yes, a celebrity could make a lot of money. Like, th- there could be an opportunity for sub- celebrities to create platforms or sell products that incorporate NFTs. But I do agree that, like, as on their own, there is no distribution channel native to them. But if you, so if you view them as like mobile or social, then there it is, it isn't the same as Amit said in like earlier in, in, in the podcast. But if you view it as like a technology like SQL, then I think there is an opportunity because they already have distribution. So assuming that we get to a point where the technology can be abstracted away sufficiently so that the offering is compelling enough on its own that you don't need a crypto audience to use it, it, it makes a ton of sense. And, and I think like the, I guess the lazy impulse when thinking about these opportunities to be like, oh, Kylie Jenner is going to come up with her trading cards. And maybe like that, that could work. But it's more likely that it's, you know, the Kardashians make tons of games already. Celebrities make a ton of money on mobile games. Maybe they have some items inside of those games and they use NFTs instead of a, a database. Like that, that, to me, that's a plausible future. And it's just a few like technology improvements, like quality of life improvements that enable that. So we might not think of it as like, you know, we're, we're using these NFTs now, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if NFTs were used kind of behind the scenes for something that was really popular. What will solve the distribution? Like, where, where do you think the problem? Where do you think what solution is most likely to emerge? I, I mean, you, you can view distribution in terms of, if you look, if you think about it in terms of kind of like a user acquisition funnel, the first one is just like, how do you get access to a, a user base that, that kind of even starts down the path of trying to buy one of these things? And a lot of that is, is what we're already seeing, you know, like using existing channels, using really great IP, cross promotion from other properties where there's already there's already traffic. And then the second side of it, the actual kind of like getting to the point where someone's owning something, a conversion is a, is a lot of it is what we're on the onboarding into Ethereum. So reducing friction and so on. To be a little more specific, you know, something that you know we've been thinking about is is you have a set of users who who maybe who maybe like they come to a site and they start playing a game and, and like like Tony said, like you play a game and you don't even realize that the items you're collecting are crypto based. And then, you know, if you just but one day the company decides to announce, hey, like you can transfer your items out of the game or like we've opened up a marketplace where you can sell your items. Like users don't even have to realize they're using Ethereum in order to participate in this ecosystem. And I think when we start to get to that 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 point again, like that's when we that's when we're gonna start to see, you know, actual proper distribution. We you know, the other thing that, you know, we've been toying around with is this idea that giveaways are really like a really interesting idea of effectively don't charge people, just give them away. Like and see like and then allow people to organically discover what, you know, what the properties of these things are. And at that point you start to have you start to have a user base that actually already has wallets. Which then makes it easier for them to, you know, move from one place to another. But, you know, honestly, like I, I don't, I like my thinking is that the district, that the initial entry point is not going to be from a crypto native source. It's not going to be that you go to Coinbase and they go to Toshi and they get in. But that is one potential place for like dexes and so on. But I don't think for the average user that's going to be the point of entry. It's going to be like they click a link from a mailing list. That allows them to collect a free collectible or something of that nature from a brand they, they care about. 
and then they can go and use that token, you know, in store. Like if I was Sephora, I can go and give away like a set of, you know, like virtual lipstick colors or whatever. And I can actually go in store and redeem it for something. So like, it's like, I, I can see marketing and like promotion as being as one, one of the key ways that people start to get and use NFTs. And, and some, of, some of the enabling technology is already getting started. Like is Opera releasing a crypto browser? So that, that's the speculation. And I think it's, it would either a crypto browser like Toshi will become popular or a, existing browser will become popular. And I mean, Brave is kind of somewhere in the middle with pretty, pretty good user adoption, like in the millions. So that that's, that's, those are the types of surfaces that mainstream users will just have. And then when a company does like a marketing campaign, like um, it was just talking about, they'll just show up as badges, you know, like they'll just show up in a wallet that's a tab on, on their browser. They didn't have to install MetaMask and like create a bunch of private keys and all that kind of stuff. Like all of that, that horrible UX that we deal with now is just going to be gone. There, you're, I don't know, have you seen, like there, you know, HTC just announced a blockchain based phone recently. Oh yeah, that's right. Right. And I mean, they have the capacity to sell millions of these things. And I actually think the product's going to be very popular because it's, it's much, it's, a, it's easier for people to understand a phone and it's easier to build apps for a phone that has a secure element versus trying to build like a custom app, like a ledger or something of that nature. So I can imagine like, you know, being a pre-installed application with with something like that would be a, a really powerful distribution mechanism. And so that is that's, that maybe that's like a counterpoint to what I said earlier about wallets potentially being a, an entry point. But in this case, I think it could be the case, right? Like if you think about like when you when you got your first PCs, like you know, years ago in the '90s, like what was on your desktop was what you used. So if your desktop had a link to, you know. MSN or, or Yahoo or AOL, it's, it's likely that you used one of those services as your as your homepage. And so when, when we think about kind of distribution via via that perspective, it, it makes a lot of sense that that especially if if it's the if there's an, a, a clean onboarding process, I buy I buy I go to the store and I just buy something, and now I have the capacity to start using these apps. Like that is actually a, a way that like, you know, we think a lot of users can also get into this. And and HTC obviously would be, you know, super incentivized to go and partner with with well-known brands that are that are doing stuff here because it only makes the phone more attractive to end consumers. So right. that, that's that's potentially a way as well. Yeah, that I mean I actually haven't thought about the next wave of adoption in those terms, like just having crypto built into these existing services that we already use or have new versions of them come out that have crypto built in that's like a super compelling uh, case for mainstream adoption or like a, a next wave of users coming online and we know that every major internet company has a blockchain team now so it's only pure speculation to to you know speculate on whether the chrome team is working on that or like facebook is working on it for, for their their services it stands to reason that at least some of them will experiment with it how do you guys think about value accrual in, this, in the NFT landscape? I think it's very simple. It's one of the simplest value accrual stories in the space. Like they're things, you know, like some things are worth stuff in, in the real world. And it should be no different in the digital world. As we discussed earlier, till now, we've never owned any of the stuff, yet a lot of them were valuable. Like some of them very, very valuable. So... Uh, now that we have a technology that makes 
those digital things more desirable um, then we should expect the ones that people find value and be worth a lot of money um we like I, I think I mentioned earlier that you know internally we have a we have a formula that we use to to, to think about kind of perceived value of one of these goods and it's it's it's, a, it's basically like brand plus um, utility value plus social social proof. Um, so for example, if I have you know if the, one of the reasons that like a T-shirt that's made by a well-known luxury luxury brand is worth something, even though the materials aren't maybe worth that much, is because of the social value that's accrued to it based on what people think of me if I wear something that that's branded. So there is definitely a social aspect to it, plus some some level of speculation and scarcity. So, like in this case, like if you think about accrual, like if I buy a collectible from a streamer, and that streamer goes from ten thousand viewers to hundred thousand viewers, one would argue that there's then more demand for that collectible, and I'll end up wanting that the price for it will end up going up. So, like, like Tony said, this stuff is not really different than what we already have in the real world. The, 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 you know, the value accrual is already there. The one kind of new, like, the one new element to that is that second market thing, which effectively that, if you think about it, it's like, if, you know, if I as an issuer not only release something that's valuable, but release something that's traded a lot, that now I have this kind of recurring revenue stream from this asset. So in some ways, it, it completely turns the, the you know, in, in some cases, you could potentially even give something away and make money off of just secondary sales of that, of that asset. So it, 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 would, it changes the incentive structure a little bit. You, can, I, you know, I can see a world in which just like, like free-to-play games, like the idea of free-to-play, you know, 15, 20 years ago was like insane because, you know, people, you want people to pay up front. Now it's almost like a best practice. And so I think we're going to see something very similar in this space where it's like, you know, maybe I'll just give my goods away for free, but make create a strong incentive to trade them or create a strong incentive to, to have some sort of secondary market activity. And then I, you know, I make money off the velocity of trades versus just the initial, the initial sale. And so, you know, I, I don't know what like the right implementation of that is. You know, we have a bunch of ideas we're toying with internally, but like that, that concept, I think, is really powerful and, and is something that seems, you know, it's, it's, I think maybe it's unobvious and over time it'll become, a, it'll become like a very best practice. So with, with digital goods, you, you have a starting point where it, it's reasonable that they're, they're valuable. And then for some of the reasons that Ami mentioned, like scarcity or social proof, they, they may be more likely to be more valuable. And then you have these interesting new business models that you can introduce because their digital assets are programmable, like these fees that are that go back to the creator in the secondary market, which is super interesting. And then you can also have productive assets that are these digital assets. So like like real estate in the real world, that's a productive asset because you can rent it out for income or you know, you can you can open up a store, you can like create a yoga studio, whatever. In the same way, it's really easy to make digital assets productive by all sorts of ways, like having them claim cash flows on some business. And then in addition to making them productive, you can continue to program them so that you fractionalize ownership of it and have shareholders for your non-fungible token. Or you can do the opposite and then compose multiple non-fungible tokens into one set of tokens that are valued on their own. 
because some set of tokens, some set of properties might be more valuable as a whole than they are individually, or maybe they depend on each other to be productive. So there, there are lots of, there, there are analogs, there are, well, is analogs the right word? There are parallels in the physical world to all of these things, but doing them with NFTs makes it way easier to enforce because you can just do them in smart contracts and uh, way cheaper to experiment with. So I'm really excited to see all the different ways that people try to play around with them. Gearing perhaps towards a, towards a close here, I'm curious how, if you guys look at the landscape, publishers, marketplaces, infrastructure, other, what's your sort of request for projects list for the NFT space? Where, where do you want really talented entrepreneurs to, to go build? For us, it's, for us, it's anyone that's, that's trying to reduce end friction for the user. So, you know, the number one thing would be is if there was a single, there was like a simple, there's a simple way. I mean, we, we're kind of in the middle of the stack. So, so either way is good. Like one is if there's really great, if there's people building really great content, like we'd love that. We want to listen to the marketplace. We want to help them get more users. We want to help them create really great, you know, really great buying and selling experiences of the tokens. But you have to first start with a really great game or a really great sub content in order to get there. Now, on the other side, it's anyone that's reducing friction of getting into the ecosystem. So, like, you know, one of my favorite projects before I got bought by, by Coinbase was Cypher. And, and, and Pete Kim, the, you know, the, the creator of that is, was basically saw going and soloing this project. Now he's part of, part of Coinbase and has, you know, a more resource at his disposal with the Toshi team. But, you know, there's not as many, you would think there was, a, there would be a lot more people trying to work towards solving this, but there's actually not that many, maybe like a dozen teams max that I've seen trying to specifically solve the, how do you get a user into owning a wallet and owning crypto in a secure way that doesn't, you know, and, and that, that to me is like the holy grail right now. I think it's holding a lot of this stuff back. Yeah, I would concur with improvements to UX reductions and friction. Very specifically, I'm excited about people that are building games for Decentraland. So if you are interested in building games or experiences on Decentraland, you should check out the developer docs. But and and specifically what what I am excited about broadly is like f- actually fun games because for lots of reasons the games so far haven't been really compelling and what I want to see is like, you know, I want to play this game regardless of the technology behind it. So I think that's definitely coming. We're getting some of the, the folks that are qualified to do that uh, coming into the space, but I'm going to play the crap out of that game when it comes out. Awesome. Guys, thanks so much for, for being on this podcast. Where can people learn more online about, about you guys and follow your progress? We're at rarebits.io um, and fanbits is fanbits.com. We're at decentraland.org. There's a developer section with the SDK and the docs to get started developing. And you can find me at Tony Shang on Twitter. And check out Tony Shang's writings at TonyShang.com. Yeah, thanks. Perfect. All right, thanks, guys. This is awesome. I'll talk to you guys soon. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks so much, Eric. Really appreciate it. Tony, it's good to connect. Yeah, super fun.